Hi and welcome to another edition of the Rabbi Rabinowitz Podcast, hosted by the Jacksonville Colo. Tonight is going to be a little bit different than the usual topics that I discuss. I try to talk, talk about the halachos and practices that are relevant to the uh, upcoming holidays. But tonight I want to talk about Chalav Yisrael. Chalav Yisrael literally means Jewish milk, but what it means is milk that was watched by a Jew when it was milked from the kosher animal. So just a little bit of background information. Any milk from a kosher animal is kosher. Any milk from a non-kosher animal is not kosher. Which means that if one goes and milks a cow, so then that milk is going to be permitted to drink. If one would milk a camel, then that milk is not permitted to drink. That is biblical. The rabbis came along, and the Talmud teaches us that the rabbis said that if you have milk in front of you that looks like cow milk, and it was not milk in front of your eyes, and you have no mashgiach that can vouch that it's actual cow milk, so then that milk would be forbidden to drink. Now, we're not concerned that it's actual camel milk, because as the Talmud explains, camel milk and cow milk look different, and it would be pretty clear to you that you were not being given cow milk. The concern is that perhaps in a matter of, like, watering it down, so the farmer or the milker, whoever it may be, decided to cheat a little bit, and add some not-kosher milk to the mixture so as not to totally ruin the taste, like water would do, but as a cost-saving measure in order to be able to save money. This is, in fact, the ruling in Shulchan Aruch also, that if one has milk and he cannot, he does not have any way of ascertaining that it was milk from a cow, then it would be forbidden to drink. The halachic legal term for this is called Chalav Akum. Now the word Akum actually means, it's an acronym, and it stands for Oved Kochavim Umazolos, which means uh, pagan worshippers. Now the truth is that the real term should really be Chalav Nochri. Uh, Nochri is a, it literally means a stranger, but in this context it refers to a non-Jew. So milk from a non-Jew. Akum uh, the acronym for Ovik Kachavim Azolos, pagan worshippers, is actually a term that was coined later, and just uh, parenthetically, the story behind the term goes like this, that there were many people in the non-Jewish community that got their hands on our writings, and they were concerned, they were insulted, sometimes by that which it says about non-Jews, because sometimes the Allah does favor Jews, and there are very good reasons for that, but nevertheless, they were uh, th- th- this upset them. So therefore, they it was insisted, whether this was insisted by the Christian government and, or the publishers, or whether the Jews came up with this, it was insisted that they go, and instead of referring to them as non-Jews, they referred to them as pagan worshippers. That way they could say that this halacha that we're telling you about non-Jews, that only refers to the old pagan worshippers. However, our non-Jewish neighbors that are so nice to us and that we're friends with, of course, that wouldn't apply to them. So, just for example, um, one is uh, forbidden to lend money with interest to a fellow Jew. However, one is permitted to lend money with interest to a non-Jew. Not necessarily recommended, but it is halachically permitted. So, if you 
say to a non-Jew, you'd be allowed to charge them interest and they might be hurt, why we're not treating them as nice as we're treating our fellow Jews. So therefore you'd say, no, we're not talking about you guys, we're talking about an Akum, an Oved Kochavim Umazolos, a pagan worshiper. The pagan worshiper, yeah, him we would charge interest to. But you, of course not. Even though that's technically not true, but it was a way of recording the halacha, but nobody should look at it and be offended. So we refer to either chal of akum or chal of nochri means this milk that was milked and there's no Jew that can actually attest to the fact that it, it comes from a cow. So what would be permitted milk? So that we call chal of Yisrael. Now, of course, chal of Yisrael doesn't mean that the cow was Jewish. What it means is that there was a Jew that was standing there. He watched them milk the cow. He then watched what they did with the milk. And he had his eye on the milk, or a different mashkiach had a supervisor, had his eye on the milk, until it got sealed in whatever container it is, then then you get it. Or from that, it got transferred to another container, whatever the case may be. But the whole time, there's some type of mashkiach supervisor that's watching to make sure that the same milk that came out of the cow is the same milk that's being given to you. So in fact... This is a halacha, that one is only allowed to drink milk that had supervision, and they're not allowed to drink milk that did not have supervision. It's rabbinic, but nevertheless a very strict law. Indeed, in the United States, and perhaps in uh, most of the world, so the majority of observant Jews are not strict about this, while many rabbis have explained why it's, why it's permitted, the most famous is Ramosha Feinstein, Zecher Tzadik of Rocha. His memory should be a blessing. Rav Feinstein came to the U.S. in 1936 and lived until 1986, and he was considered to be the Torah giant of the United States. And, of course, there were people that disagreed with him in his lifetime, but his halachic rulings carry a certain weight more than perhaps anyone else. Now, Rav Feinstein, Rav Moshe Feinstein, wrote a number of responsa on the topic, and he explained with a, somewhat of a novel idea that, based on the Talmud, you see that it's not a halacha that a Jew must watch. In other words, there are certain situations where if the Jew would walk out, but the non-Jew doesn't know the exact second that the Jew is going to walk back in, so then this causes a certain mirsas. Mirsas means that it's going to cause a fear. The non-Jew is afraid to mess with the milk because he could get busted. Any second, the Jew might come back in. So what you see from the Talmud is that it's not necessary. There's no halachic requirement for the milk to be watched. There's a halachic requirement for us to know with certainty that the milk was not messed with. However, that can be accomplished in more than one way. That can be accomplished by watching the whole time. It can also be accomplished by creating some type of situation where the non-Jew would be afraid. So, for example, you walk in, you walk out, you walk in, you walk out. That would accomplish the same thing. Said Rav Moshe that in the United States there are inspectors that come from the FDA, from the Food and Drug Administration, and they come to the dairy farms and they inspect the milk. So because they are inspecting the milk, 
the farmers would be afraid to mess with it because if the milk gets messed with and they get uh, discovered what they did, then they're going to be given a fine. They're afraid of that. They don't want to be given any type of fine. They don't want to lose their license or whatever it is. And therefore, even though it's true that you don't have a Jewish mashgiach, but nevertheless, because the dairy farmer is afraid to do anything, to mess with the milk, because he might get caught, therefore, it would have the same halachic strength as Chal Yisrael, because we know that the milk was not messed with. Indeed, Rav Moshe coined a new term. He referred to this not as Chal of Akum, milk from Ananju, not as Chal of Yisrael, but rather Chal of HaCompanies, which means milk from the companies. That the companies, uh, in other words, if you're in someone's private home, and uh, he's not Jewish, and he gives you a cup of milk. So even Ramosha Feinstein wouldn't allow you to uh, to drink that milk unless it came from a sealed package. But milk that comes from a company that you buy in a in a, in a sealed package, because legally they are uh, they could get in a lot of trouble if they were caught selling milk which was not a hundred percent milk from a cow. Therefore, that would have the same legal halachic status as chol of Yisrael, and you'd be allowed to drink it. However, Ramosha himself does write that these famous words, Baal Nefesh Yachmir. Baal Nefesh Yachmir means that one who is a, probably best translated as a pious individual, will be strict on this matter and he will only buy Chov Yisrael milk. In other words, he says, even though it's true that I believe that you've created this fear. And because of the fear, you don't have to be concerned. And you know that for sure you're getting cow milk. Nevertheless, it would be better if you actually had a Jew that was watching it the whole time. And therefore, a pious individual would be careful to only have milk from a cow. Now, who exactly falls under this category? So this is... This is an issue of debate. It's not 100% clear. Interestingly enough, uh, there's a famous tshuva, a famous uh, response from Rav Moshe, where a school said, asked him if they're required to provide their students with Chal Yisrael milk, and Rav Moshe responded that they were. They said, but none of our student body is strict about this, and he said it doesn't make a difference because you are a school and you are teaching students how to do mitzvos in the optimal fashion, therefore it would only be proper to do it that way. So that would also seem to indicate that he was not so keen on one relying on this uh, on this halachic dispensation of chov companies and relying on the government inspectors. Uh, nevertheless, it has been reported by reliable witnesses that in Ramosha's own home, he would be careful. He would only drink Chalvi's from milk, but he would allow his wife and his children to drink the regular milk. And uh, when asked why, the answer was, our father said that uh, there's nothing, reason, there's no real reason to be strict. It's halachically considered to be no weaker than real Chalvi's strong milk because of the fact that we know that they're not; go- they're afraid to mess up because they don't want to be busted and suffer all the consequences of that. So there's also there was another letter that Rav Moshe wrote, which uh, he seems to say that if one has Chal Yisrael available, then there's even more reason to be strict and to only purchase Chal Yisrael. So if we went based purely on what it says in the writings, 
it would seem to indicate that he is a definitely a strong advocate for Chov Yisrael only. However, if it's a person that uh, says, you know what, I'm not a pious individual, or if it's a case where Chov Yisrael is not readily available, then he would agree that there's absolutely no problem with relying on the Chov companies, Meaning, drinking the regular produced non-Chov Yisrael milk. Now, based on an article that I read from a rabbi, Yair Hoffman, he explains that actually what would happen is the government inspectors would take milk samples, inspect fat and casein ratios. If there was any irregularity, an investigation could be launched. It was upon this basis that Feinstein ruled that fear of government inspection on part of the dairy owner was just as good as having a Jew overseeing the milk production. Interestingly enough, this is no longer the case. The FDA no longer goes and is in charge of these visits to dairy farms, but rather the each individual state now is in charge of this. It seems, based on this article that I read, that the FDA, which was part of the federal government, would go to the dairy plants and they would be making these investigations. But now there are state inspections, and the state inspections are going to the dairy farms. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that there's a problem. And in fact, uh, the OU wrote about this, and the OU said that based on the fact that there are state inspections, while it's true that it's not the exact rationale that Feinstein gave in his response that he wrote about it, but nevertheless it would still, the logic would still be similar enough that there's nothing to be worried about. And in fact, it could be that the state employees actually create a greater fear than the federal ones did. I'm not 100% sure why. And therefore, all the more reason why there'd be no issue of Chol Yisrael even until today. Now, the last question to deal with is, how do we define what's called readily available and what's not called readily available? So, for example, on a personal note, I went to, when I moved to Jacksonville uh, almost 15 years ago, so none of the supermarkets carried Chovy Strong milk. So we weren't sure what to do, so we asked our rabbi at the time, and he told us, Rav Moshe Feinstein is talking about Jacksonville. He's talking about a case like yours where milk is not readily available, and you have nothing to worry about. And of course, you can drink non-Chov Yisrael milk. Now, there were some Jews at the time in Jacksonville that would get a delivery from a truck about once a month, I think. They would take the milk, they would put it in their freezer, and uh, every night or every other night, they would take it out, they would let it defrost, and they had milk available for them. So is that called readily available, or is that not called readily available? So to us, it seemed like that was not called um, to have to buy a whole nother freezer just to hold all of your milk and then uh, have to defrost the, defrost the milk every night. And that would not fall under the category of readily available. One year later, Publix started to uh, carry Chalvi Yisrael milk, and we reassessed the situation, and we decided we're going to try to be strict about it and to only have Chalvi Yisrael milk. Now, most of the time, it's readily available, I did go uh, on just uh, yesterday to uh, Winn-Dixie to pick up some milk, and there was none in the refrigerator. So it happens sometimes that it gets sold out in a way which you typically do not have with non-Chalvi strong milk. So is that called readily readily available? Is it not called readily available? What about price? 
what about the fact that it costs so much more? Does that play a role? Well, how much of a difference? Um, what about ice cream? What about yogurt? What about cheese? So th- these, are, these, are, these are complicated questions. I didn't see anyone that dealt with this head-on to, to really come to a good definition of what's called readily available or not readily available. It would seem that uh, the fact that it costs so much more means that it's not really so readily available. Plus, there are a lot of products which there are a lot of products which are in fact not available in the Chovisrol form, only in the non Chovisrol form. So it, it would be hard. On the other hand, I could also be swayed by an argument that would say, well, you know, that's all that's nice, but uh, not kosher meat also is a lot cheaper than kosher meat. But nevertheless, we spend the money for kosher meat. So why would you... What, so so, so if the same way you spend money for, for kosher meat is the same way that you're going to have to spend money to get to get the chavis from milk. So I don't know a clear definition of what would be called readily available and what would not be defined as readily available. Now, one last point. I know I said that the last point was the last one. Sorry about that. Uh, one last point, and that is that there were many, specifically in the Hasidic world, that did not accept this leniency of Rev. Moshe Feinstein and others to say that the Cholva companies, the mass-produced milk with the fear of the government, would also have the halachic status of Chol Yisrael. And they continue to read the Shulchan Aruch according to the simple understanding. And the Shulchan Aruch says that any milk which is not Chol Yisrael is not kosher, period. And indeed, if one would go and if one would go and they would have not chavis milk and they would uh, cook with it, so then their pots would become not kosher and their pots would need to be kosher because you're using something which is not kosher. So so most, perhaps all Hasidim did not accept his leniency and are very strict to only have true chavis and and not to rely on that. There are many people that are strict about Chov Yisrael, but even though they're strict about Chov Yisrael, they view it to be a stringency. In other words, they're very careful, but they understand that after everything is said and done, they're being strict. Now, this would have a few practical applications, but the most, the one that I want to bring out is like this. There are certain products which either it says on it that it's made with dairy equipment, or even though it says on it OUD, it's known that it's actually only dairy equipment. So, for example, um, Ben and Jerry's almond milk ice cream, which is delicious, is Chafke DE, dairy equipment. Or um, Oreos cookies has an OUD, but the plain regular Oreos cookies um, are in fact really dairy equipment. Now, would one be allowed to eat that? Because after all, even though it's not dairy, but it was made in Kalim, it was made in utensils that were already used for for other dairy products, which were not Chov Yisrael. So obviously, if one does not keep Chov Yisrael, this question is moot. However, what happens if one is strict about Chov Yisrael? So then it depends how you view the reason why you keep Chov Yisrael. If you view Chov Yisrael in the pure Hasidic fashion of, this is the halacha, one must keep Chov Yisrael. If the Jew didn't watch it, then it's not Chov Yisrael, and it is 100% trafe, it is not kosher. Well then, the fact that the ice cream or the almond milk, or the Oreos, whatever the case may be, was made in equipment that was previously used for dairy, 
what we call dairy equipment, would now take it and make it made in non-kosher equipment. And therefore, therefore, that would be a problem, and they wouldn't be able to enjoy any of those products either, even though they're parav, but because they were made in what they view to be not kosher equipment. However, um, if one is careful to only have chovisro, but they view it as a stringency, so we say, that far we don't take it. It's true that we don't eat non-chovisro, or that personally I wouldn't eat non-chovisro. However, to say that it's going to make the, the utensils trafe, that's already pushing it. That far we don't take it, and therefore people will eat foods that was made in a non Chovisrol um, equipment. So, therefore, for example, um, I know a lot of people that enjoy oatmeal squares, even though it says on it that it's that it's uh, that it's dairy, because actually it's only dairy equipment. And I know others that get very excited when they can import oatmeal squares, Quaker oatmeal squares, from Canada, because the ones in Canada, I guess it's a different factory, and they don't make anything dairy in that factory, and those are Parav, and therefore they would be able to enjoy it because it's 100% parv and they don't have any cholesterol issues. I hope this clarifies the topic just a little bit and gives some background to it. Thank you so much for listening.